Well, good morning, everyone. One more time, good morning, everyone. That's a lot better. It's great to be with you guys this morning. Just uh, always a blessing to be here. I love this place. And uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, Before we get started, this is second service, so I have a few more minutes there, Miles. I'm going to take a few more minutes here. So praise God. And the welcome. Praise God. We don't have to get out as quickly, but uh, it's great to be here. What I want to do this morning is I want you guys to give the staff team here a big round of applause. Show them some love real quick. I don't know if you guys know this, but staff teams, yeah, you guys have a wonderful staff team, a gospel-loving staff team, a family-oriented staff team, a mission and kingdom-driven staff team, and that doesn't happen everywhere. There's something to be grateful for. The women and men who lead our church here are incredible, incredible. You have a great staff team here. And it's a joy. I'm grateful. How do I know that? Because they've spoken the gospel to me. They've been family to me. And even though I'm uh, a couple miles up the road, they engage in mission with me. And I'm really grateful for them. They're incredible. And next Sunday is going to be incredible. I won't be here, but I'll be praising God with you guys. It's very exciting. I'm so excited for Brandon. I love that guy. He's a brother of mine. He's not here this morning, but I told him that I am a member at the North Canton Chapel still, so I have a vote, and that if he wants me to vote for him, he's going to have to buy me some sushi, so (laughs) praise God. We praise God. We praise God for that. We praise God for that also. But no, it is great to be here with you guys this morning. We've been in a series called Vintage Faith. Vintage Faith, right? Praise God for the vintage faith. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 11 in this series. I like to think of myself as a vintage kind of guy, even though I am a millennial. I like to think of myself as vintage. I grew up with my grandma, and she for sure is vintage, (laughs) a thousand percent vintage. Because of growing up with my grandma, I love to spin records. So she would spin records all the time when I was a kid. So I decided, hey, as an adult, I'm going to get a record player, and I'm going to start collecting records. So in my free time, you can find me at record stores around just flipping through the crates, looking for records to spend myself. Now, I'm also a millennial, so I grew up in the iPod generation. iPods got big around the time when I was in middle school and high school. So I love an iPod and I love a playlist, but man, what I love about a record is you can't skip songs. You have to listen to the whole entire record. And what I've learned since listening to records is, man, My whole life, living in an iPod generation, I've picked out songs that I like, and I've created whole playlists that are just full of songs that I like. But man, albums tell stories. And you see, albums have deep context. And man, as I've started listening to whole records, what I've found is that, man, all these songs actually kind of go together. And it actually makes the song that I really like, the song that's the single, make a whole lot more sense when I listen to it in the context of the album. And you see, with Vintage Faith, what's incredible about this series is what we're getting is a context. Is we're getting a context of the history of faith. We're getting the whole entire album without skipping songs. Because you see, sometimes it's easy for us to read scripture and isolate passages we like 
and isolate stories that we like. But in Hebrews chapter 11, what we are getting is the full story. What we're getting is faith and a historical account of faith in Jesus Christ from the Old Testament all the way to the time of Jesus. And man, is it incredibly beautiful. It's incredibly beautiful. So, this morning before we get into the passage, in French there's a term called je ne sais quoi. Now, the term je ne sais quoi literally means that which cannot be easily explained. So the je ne sais quoi of a person, place, or thing is an intangible attribute that that person, place, or thing has that is something about them that is hard to describe. It's something about them that is hard to explain. Let me put this in Akron terms for you this morning. If someone blindfolded me, sat me down, and said, hey, I have two Swinson's burgers for you. But in all actuality, they had one Swinson's burger, and they had one double cheeseburger from McDonald's. And they put the double cheeseburger up to my mouth. I would know that that's not a Swinton's burger. And I wouldn't only know, but I'd actually be really upset with them because I really like burgers from Swinton's. But they're both double cheeseburgers. They both have two patties. They both have cheese. They both have buns. What makes these burgers different? There's just something about that Swinton's burger. How many of you guys ever go to Swinton's? Praise God. Many of you have had wonderful experiences then. There's just something about that burger from Swinson's that is going to make it different than that burger at McDonald's. It's a je ne sais quoi, right? Right? There have been a lot, sorry, I love the NBA, everybody. There have been a lot of shooting guards in NBA history, but there's just something about Jordan. People have scored more points. People have won more championships, but man, there's just something about Jordan. I want to be like Mike. He beat the Monstars, praise God. <laughs> There's a je ne sais quoi about Jordan. What I want to contend to you this morning before we get into the text, just to set the scene a little bit, is that the je ne sais quoi of the Christian life, the je ne sais quoi of us as Christians is faith. It is faith. It is that intangible attribute that makes us different from the rest of the world. The fact that we have faith. And where do I get this from? I get this from the scriptures. In Galatians, sorry, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says that by grace we are saved in Jesus Christ through faith, not by any works of the law, lest any man should boast. What is this saying? This is saying that because of the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ, when he's seen us in our sinful and dead and pitiful positions, he reached down and saved us because of the goodness of his grace. And that's good news. That's the divine initiative. But listen, the only human responsibility that's involved is that we have faith that Jesus actually did that. Is that we believe that he actually has done that for us. What am I talking about, friends? What I'm talking about is Romans chapter 10, verses 9. For those of us who know Romans Road, this is where it all leads to. That if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, we are saved. If we believe faith, 
What am I talking about, my friends? I'm talking about Mark chapter 9. When a man comes to Jesus and his daughter is demon-possessed, and Jesus asks if he believes, if the man believes that his daughter can be healed, and the man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. What I'm saying is even if we have struggles, even if we have issues, even if we say to ourselves, hey, my faith is not like these characters that I'm reading about in the book of Hebrews, the faith that he had was enough. The je ne sais quoi, the je ne sais quoi of the Christian life, my friends, is faith. As we read earlier in this chapter, in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, without faith it is impossible to please God. Impossible to please God. Faith is the je ne sais quoi of the Christian life. And my friends, that brings us to our passage today in Hebrews chapter 11. Vintage faith. What we've been studying is what many call the Hall of Faith. We're here in Hall of Fame town. This is the Hall of Faith. And in the Hall of Faith, what we find is story after story, example after example of great patriarchs and matriarchs and their great exemplars of how they showed faith in Jesus Christ. And today we're going to get into actually four of those. In our passage today, it mentions four of them. It mentions Abraham, his son Isaac, his grandson Jacob, and his great-grandson Joseph. So if you would with me this morning, let's turn and or scroll in our electronic devices to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 17 through 24. Verses 17 through 24. If you don't have that, it's okay. It's really big behind me on these two screens. When you get that, if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is God's word. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. One more time, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is God's word. And this is true. You may be seated. 
as we study the book of Hebrews, and as you study the whole book, which I pray that you do, a thing that is different about Hebrews than other epistles is that Hebrews is a sermon. So Hebrews is not actually intended to be a letter. Hebrews is a sermon that was given to people. So in the oral tradition, it wasn't a letter that was going to be read and performed as a letter, but it is a sermon. So when people in the first century in churches, when they would go to homes, and when Hebrews was spoken of, Hebrews was not read or performed as a letter. Hebrews was preached as a sermon. And how do we know that? We have textual proof that Hebrews is a sermon. If you read it in one movement, you're going to find it flow smoothly as a sermon. In the beginning of the book of Hebrews, what you're going to find is the author making the case, the preacher making the case that Jesus is better than anything. Jesus is better. He's going to start and he's going to say Christ is greater and higher than the angels. And then he's going to move on and he's going to say Christ is greater and higher than Moses. The prophet that came after who was supposed to be greater is not actually Joshua, but that prophet is Jesus. He's going to move on for an extended period of time in the book of Hebrews. And he's going to point to the fact that Christ is higher and greater than the law. The ethos of the law is Christ Jesus. Jesus is better. And in Hebrews chapter 11, what we're going to find is the very climax of the sermon of the book of Hebrews. In chapter 11 and in chapter 12, we find the point where the preacher is probably, if he was in a black church, yelling at this point. This is the climax of the sermon. And the stories in Hebrews chapter 11 are not meant to tell whole stories, but these stories are meant contextually to make a theological point. And the point that is theologically trying to be made in Hebrews chapter 11 is this. It's that faith. I believe it's that faith. It's the je ne sais quoi of the Christian life. Faith is at the root of the Christian life. Faith is at the core of the Christian life. So with the 15 minutes and 23 seconds that I have left, if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to preach a little bit this morning. Since this is a sermon, I'm just going to preach a little bit this morning. I got three points for you, then we can go watch the Browns, amen? <laughs> Point one, we find patriarchs in this text. In these verses, we find the third movement of Abraham. Brandon beautifully spoke about the last movement of Abraham last week, Abraham and Sarah. Praise God for that. This is the final movement in the proof of faith here, the faith of Abraham, the great patriarch. Next, we find bullet points. And the bullet points are about Isaac, they're about Jacob, and they're about Joseph. A central theme in all of these bullet points is the great faith of these patriarchs. And listen to me, don't hear what I'm not saying here with this point. These patriarchs have great faith. If God told me to go find a city whose builder and maker was God, I'd be like, man, what does that mean, God? I'd try to put it in Google Maps, and I probably wouldn't find it. <laughs> if God told me when I was 100 years old that we was having a baby, I'd be like, oh, gosh. 
When God told me when I was 26, I was like, goodness, I'm a little old now. But if God told me to take my baby up to a mountain and sacrifice my baby and her little chucks, goodness gracious, these are great exemplars of the faith. But here's point one. The patriarchs are able to have what we're calling vintage faith because of the faithfulness of the vintage God. The point of these stories, my friends, the main characters of these stories are not the patriarchs. And you see, sometimes when we study the Bible, we can get into modes where we look at stories and we say, man, I wish I had the faith of Abraham. I don't have that kind of faith. God, give me the faith of Abraham. God, man, look at Isaac. Isaac goes against the cultural narrative totally. And in this text, it talks about how he gives both sons a blessing. In the first century, you only give the oldest son a blessing. And as we know, as the story goes, he's going to give the birthright, which is different than the blessing, actually to Jacob because he's a swindler. But he gives a blessing to both sons. Man, give me the faith to go against the cultural narrative and to follow the ways of God, just like Isaac. Man, give me the faith of Jacob. Jacob, at the end of Genesis, in chapter 50, at the end of his life, is going to sit down, all of his sons, and he's going to bless and give a word to all of his sons. Man, give me faith. Give me the spiritual acumen to, at the end of my life, not be thinking about myself, but to be thinking about the faith moving to the next generation. Man, Make me like Joseph. Make me prophetic. Joseph, at the end of his life, tells his sons, hey, take my bones up out of Egypt. And he prophesies to them of what's going to happen in the Exodus. And in him saying, take my bones out of Egypt, he is prophesying of the fact that God is going to deliver them. Man, make me like them. But you see, they're not the characters of this story. They're not the main point. The main point of the story is the faithful God. The faithfulness of God enables their faith. Without the faithfulness of God, there is no faith of the patriarchs. And without the faithfulness of God, there is no reason for us to have faith. We have faith because we know God is faithful. And my friends, this morning, before we move off of this point, the very je ne sais quoi of God, the essence of God, is faithfulness. God is faithfulness. He is who he says he is. In Exodus chapter 3, God is going to reveal himself to Moses in a burning bush, a bush that is burning that is not being consumed. Try to put your hands around that. What God is communicating to him is you can see me, you can feel me, but you can't comprehend me. And then next, Moses asks him who he is. And God tells him to take his shoes off for he's on holy ground. And then he takes his shoes off and he comes closer. And he asks God again who he is. And God says to him, I am who I am. Let's fast forward to Exodus chapter 6 when Moses has another encounter with 
the God of the burning bush. And when he has an encounter with the God of the burning bush, he asks him again who he is. And God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will be what I will be. I'm the God who is with Abraham. I'm the God who enabled Abraham to have great faith. I'm the God who promised Abraham and am the promise keeper. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of promise who moved the promise of Abraham into a new generation. I am the God of Jacob, who through Jacob burst the nation of Israel and his 12 sons. I am the God who rescued Joseph from that hole. I am the God who is faithful. And Moses, I will be your God. Even though your situation is slavery, even though your situation seems as if it's something you can't get out of, guess what? You can't get out of it. But I'm faithful, and I'm here with you. And the great thing about this patriarchs, and the great thing about this text, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of us in this room right now. He is the God of the people who are sitting in North Canton right now. And that God is faithful. And his faithfulness is pronounced. And his faithfulness is shown in the fact that he's seen us in our sinful situations. He's seen all of us. And he's seen all of our shortcomings. He's seen all of our disparities. He's seen all of our sins throughout history. And he stepped down. He put on flesh. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect life. And he was convicted as a sinner. He was convicted as a criminal and he went to the cross and on the cross he took upon him all of our sins, past, present, and future. He took those to the grave and they died with him. But on the third day he got up and he raised from the dead. My friends, he is the faithful God and because of his faithfulness, we one day will raise with him the hope of the Christian life. God is faithful. God is faithful. And you see, we sometimes as the people of God are like the children of Israel. And we function with amnesia. You see, the children of Israel, when they went into the wilderness, they had just forgot that God had rescued them. And they had just forgot that God had shown his great wonder ten times in ten different miracles. And you see, we can be that way too. We can be that way too. But in the words of my grandma, man, when I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise God, I have a testimony. And a testimony of God in our lives. Think back for a second about the God who saved you. Think back for a second about the fact that you're not who you were two years ago. Think back about the time that God healed you. Think back about the time that God handled that situation on your job. Think back about the time that God helped you get a new job. Think back about all the goodness of Jesus. God is faithful. He is faithful. And he was faithful to Abraham and faithful to Isaac and faithful to Jacob and faithful to Joseph. And their personal faith is actually not the main theme of this story, but the main theme of these stories is the faithfulness of the vintage God. And the faithfulness of the vintage God 
is available for us as well. And that's good news, my friends. Amen? Point two. Two more and we'll go have lunch. Amen? The faith that is displayed by these patriarchs is as one of my favorite songs, Great As Thy Faithfulness says, is strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Faith in Jesus Christ is strength for today. And it's a bright hope for tomorrow. Let's look at the passage real quick. In verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. Let me stop here real quick before we move. This is a New Testament book. What the author is pointing at is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Anytime we read the text and we see something about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, stop and praise God. Praise God. We'll move. This is Abraham. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, at the end of his life, Joseph made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. In each and every one of these movements, there is a future element involved in it. There's a future element involved in the story of Abraham. You see, Abraham not only needed strength to obey God in the present, but Abraham's future hope, the promise that God had given him, was hanging in the balance. You see, he not only trusted God with his present, but he trusted God with his future. And the same for Isaac. In going against the cultural narrative, Isaac is trusting God to do something different than what is going on culturally around him, but he's also trusting God with the future and blessing both of his sons because God tells him to. Jacob, at the end of his life, is literally looking towards the future and blessing each and every one of his sons, and he even blesses the sons of Joseph. And Joseph, at the end of his life, is prophesying to his people and telling them something bad is going to happen, but God is going to deliver and rescue you. Faith in Jesus Christ is strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And that's good news for us. That's good news for us. Because it's strength for us to go through life's trials and tests. But it's bright hope for the future and tomorrow. What am I talking about? I've got a friend who lives around the corner. His name is David. I love David a lot. And David also has, like, small children. So from time to time, David will say to me, hey, bro, I got a steak. When the kids go to bed, come over and eat the steak. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, praise God. Put that joint on the grill and let's get it popping. So I drive from Akron to around the corner to see my buddy David. And it's about two months ago. We get over there, and David is just like, hey, bro. I need to have a good day, so we're going to turn on game seven of the 2016 NBA Finals. So I go bet. 
I love the Cavs. It's awesome. I love LeBron, man. Take me back to good times. I'm an Akron kid. So David turns on the game, and literally it was if I had never seen it before. I mean, he turns on the game, and I'm like biting my nails. It's the first quarter, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. We're so close. Are we not going to get the title? It's been 52 years. Oh, my goodness. This is the best chance that we possibly have. What are they doing? Why'd they take LeBron out? Why'd they foul him? Then the second half happens, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. JR, don't shoot that. Oh, my gosh. He made it. Oh, my gosh. JR, don't shoot that. That's not authorized. He makes it. And then it gets to the fourth quarter, and I'm like in front of the TV like this, literally like I was in 2016. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Kyrie, don't shoot that. What are you doing? Run the play. Kyrie sinks the shot. My goodness. LeBron blocks the shot. But then right as LeBron was taking a free throw, I remembered that I knew what was happening. <laughs> I remembered that I had actually seen the game before. And I actually got really happy because I realized that in the end, we win. You see, as we live life as Christians, it's a lot like watching a game that we've already seen. Because we live our lives, and we have tense moments, and we say, what's going on? We say, goodness, it seems as if I'm losing this battle, but my friends, in the end, we win. Faith in Jesus is strength for today. It's strength for us to know. Amen. You can clap for that. Praise God. It's strength for today, and it helps us to know that today we can make it. And why can we make it? Because we know in the end we win. We know that this sickness is not the end for us. We know that one day we will raise again with Jesus Christ to a land where there is no sickness, to a land where there is no pain, to a land where there is no oppression, to a land where there is no injustice, to a land where there are no kids without parents, to a land where everyone is treated justly, to a land where we are as we were created to be. New Jerusalem. Heaven. So we live life with strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And goodness, y'all are lucky. I can't, if I could sing like Micah, I'd be up here singing, great is thy faithfulness. Because great is his faithfulness. It gives us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And that's what we read in these verses. Abraham has strength for that day. And he trusts the future of his son and the future of his people. Isaac and Jacob and Joseph have the same faith. He gives us strength for today and bright hope, bright hope for tomorrow. Point three, our faith is a part of a larger narrative. Our faith is a part of a bigger story. It's a part of a bigger story. You see what I love about this part of the passage specifically is that after the third movement of Abraham, you get it with bullet points. And what you get with bullet points is this idea that the story keeps moving. You see, in the kingdom of God, we as individuals are saved from something for something. We're saved from the power and presence of sin for the good works of Jesus Christ and to be agents and ambassadors in his kingdom. You see, the faith of Abraham creates a context 
by which the faith of Isaac exists. Isaac was with him on that mountain. Isaac seen the ram in the bush happen. Isaac seen his father show great faith. Isaac seen Abraham point to the fact that it wasn't of his goodness that that ram showed up, but it was because of the goodness of Jesus that that ram showed up and his life was saved and that the promise kept going. Isaac was with his sons when they seen him go against the cultural narrative and bless both sons. They seen his faith. Jacob's sons, at the end of his life, see his faith. And what they see him do is bless them. What the people of Israel, the sons of Joseph, see is Joseph's great faith in saying something bad's going to happen, but carry my bones out of Egypt because I know that God is going to redeem us. Is our faith creating a context for the next generation to see the goodness of Jesus? Or is our faith creating a context for the next generation to simply see religiosity? To simply see church going? Or is our faith in Jesus creating a context for the next generation to see people stepping out like Abraham and like Isaac and like Jacob and stepping out because they believe in a faithful God. Barna has a statistic that they came out with in 2015. And the statistic says that 80% of kids who grow up in the church will leave the church because they perceive that Jesus means nothing to them. 80%. Because they perceive that Jesus means nothing to them. When they look at us, what do they see? What do they see? Do they see a context where people are stepping out in faith and God is moving? Do they see a context where people are not living by the book of our culture, but people are living by the book of God? Do they see a context where we're sacrificing our comfort, our calendars, and our checkbooks for the goodness of Jesus? Or do they see us playing in to the American dream and our calendars and our checkbooks pointing towards retirement and not New Jerusalem? Church, God is calling us to create a context where we live by faith and faith alone as we worship Christ and Christ alone. And as we make much of Jesus in our lives, we're saved from something or something. And my question that I leave you with today is, as the narrative is written about us, which it is, which it is, it is because people are watching what will the narrative be written about?
my heart hurt a couple weeks ago really badly because I was studying for a sermon and I needed a commentary and I went to call Mike McCartney. I couldn't call him. You see the narrative that he wrote with his life was a narrative of a man who studied the scriptures deeply. It was a narrative of a man who loved his wife and his family. It was a narrative of a man who served God and served the kingdom with his whole entire life right up until the end. To the point where I forgot for a few minutes that he had crossed over to glory and I was calling him to look for a commentary. The story, the narrative is being written of us. Will our narrative create a context for the next generation to see the goodness of God or to just see more lackluster American Christianity? I pray that it's the former. Grace and peace be with you. Please pray with me. Great God and Father, you are wonderful, you are miraculous, you are beautiful. Jesus, you've done all the work. Salvation is from you. Because of your grace and because of your grace alone, we are invited to be sons and daughters in your family. And we experience forgiveness of sins. But God, you call us to be people of faith and people of deep belief. So Jesus, this morning, I pray that as we leave here and go to the places that we live, work, and play, Jesus, I pray that we remember that you are the main character of the scriptures. You are the main character of our lives, of every story. And Jesus, I pray that we would lean into your faithfulness. Jesus, I pray that as people of faith, that it would just give us strength for today. And Jesus, I pray for anyone who needs that strength. God, I pray that you would just manifest that to them in a fresh and new way. That faith in you is strength for today and it's a bright hope for tomorrow. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that our lives would be context for people to see faith firsthand. And God, I pray that you would get the glory out of all of it. We pray these things in the strong, strong, marvelous and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.